This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. A, a chilly one here in the Northeast. It was only uh, 18 degrees when I got up this morning. And uh, although the temperatures are going to rebound nicely this weekend, it's supposed to be up in the 60s, but a cold one here this morning. Welcome to the Wake Up Call here on Sports Country Radio. Um, a lot to get to this morning. we got some baseball news this morning and some, not some good news if you're a Mets fan, so uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I guess we start. Uh, our show, unfortunately, this has become like the uh, uh, the COVID-19 death list. Not death list, but the, the COVID-19 tragedy list or whatever you want to call it. Every day we kind of run down uh, the latest, how it's affecting the world of sports. Well, it's, let's start off here in the state of Connecticut. Um, the plan was originally, and the CIAC had come up with a plan where high school sports, uh, hockey, and the two basketballs were going to start being able to actually play games in the middle of December. They were going to start practice on the 5th of December and start playing games, I believe it was either the 17th or the 19th. Well, that's not going to happen now, as uh, despite the fact that the CIAC came up with this plan, uh, the leadership did. The CIAC Board of Control, which is basically a uh, an executive board made up of athletic directors uh, and principals from around the state of Connecticut have decided to postpone even that plan. They're going to go later. Now they're saying they won't be allowed to begin practice until January 19th uh, with a start date for competition not yet determined. You know, could be very end of December or very end of January, first part of February. Uh, now, originally, or at least as of right now, the state basketball tournaments were scheduled to begin around the 20th of February. Well, if they don't start playing until February 1, they're going to have to push that back or cancel the championships altogether because that would mean, you know, even if you play a couple games a week, that means, you know, teams are going to be able to play eight games. You know, so I, I don't know what they're going to do uh, in regard to that. But with the state positivity rate continuing to climb, you know, again, and, and we've all said this, what's the harm in letting science do its work? You know, we know we have the vaccine coming, but it's not, it's not going to be until the spring when the average Joe, you and me, starts getting vaccinated. Even when these vaccines first come out, the first responders are going to be the first ones to get it, as they should. They're taking care of people with this disease. And then it's going to be the at-risk population that's going to get it. And then eventually it'll trickle down to you and me and the younger people uh, who are less vulnerable. Um, so, you know, again, what's the harm? And, and look, you know, the United States yesterday hit a, a ridiculous amount, 250,000 cases yesterday alone. You know, now, 
the 250,000 cases, let's let's put that in perspective. It's 250,000 positive tests. We're not talking about 250,000 people in the hospital. Um, you know, because a lot of these people that the, of the 250,000 are asymptomatic. You know, be that as it may, whether you think this is all hysteria or not, and there are still people, folks, even with all the people dying and everything, we still have people in this country on their deathbed saying, I don't believe this is real as they take their last breath. And, you know, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. You know, and on the other hand, the other side, you got people saying, geez, I wish I had taken it seriously. The state of Connecticut's taken it seriously. I give the CIAC Board of Control credit for wanting to put it off until the middle of January. What's the harm? What's the harm? Look, if we're talking about not having Thanksgiving dinner with family and, uh, you know, what's the harm in waiting a couple more weeks and starting after the first of the year? And look, if these numbers start to improve, then it looks like it's a great idea. If the numbers don't improve, all right, well, then you postpone it completely or you, you cancel the season if it gets worse. You know, in that in the time they were going to start, you know, you might have been able to play a few more games, but is it really worth the risk? Is that what you want to do? You want to put your kids at risk for this? So um, I think it's wise, you know, and look, we don't even know yet what's going to happen here in the state with everything else. New York City this morning announced that they are going to close their school systems completely to distance learning for at least two weeks for at least through Thanksgiving. So now you have parents who send their kids to school and then go to work trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do because now all of a sudden they're going to have kids at home. Um, so, you know, and we remember what happened last year or earlier this year when the whole thing went down in the spring and people were scrambling because now, you know, they have to stay. They have to stay at home now. A lot of us are working from home anyway, but those that aren't are now going to have to figure it out. And you have daycare centers that aren't open anymore. I mean, my daughter is a preschool teacher. Her preschool's been closed since April, and they may not open until January or February at best. So it's not you know so. Parents are already struggling with what to do with their kids. And now with school out, you know, and if you don't work from home, you're screwed. And there's calls for that to happen here in the state of Connecticut. We're not doing it yet, but there's calls for it. You know, and Western Connecticut State University here decided uh, yesterday they are canceling winter sports. They're not going to play in the winter either. So we're seeing people being smart. At the end of the day, and I have said this, I said it when this came down last spring. I said it all summer. I said it all fall. Look, and, you know, people get pissed off when I say this, but if not being able to play high school football or high school basketball for a season is the worst thing that happens to you in your life or to happens to your child in their life, they're lucky. We all have to go through things in life that aren't pleasant. And if this is the worst thing that happens to them, good. And, you know, and in some cases, folks, this is a good lesson for young people. 
you know, to say, well, I got through that. I can get through anything. You know, and, and so it's a great move. You know, and we look nationally, six more college, major college football games postponed this weekend. Uh, the latest Texas at Kansas, number 22 Texas, um, is off. 14 of the 62 games involving bowl subdivision teams scheduled for this week have been canceled or at least po- or postponed. Last week it was 15 out of 59 games. So you're looking at essentially a quarter of the games each week being called off these last three weeks because of this. Uh, the American Conference this week called off Navy at South Florida, Houston at SMU. The Mountain West had two games called off Utah State at Wyoming that was supposed to be played tonight. Uh, UNLV at Colorado State that was supposed to be played on Saturday also not going to be played. You know, and there are conferences that are, are struggling. The Pac-12 is likely to not have any teams play enough games to be considered to get into a bowl. If they even have bowl games, I mean, as of right now, they're still on, but as with everything now, you know, it's a day-to-day proposition. Utah has only been able to play two games this year because of the whole coronavirus thing, whether whether it was them or whether it was their opponent. They've only been able to play two games. And yesterday, the college football playoff committee discussed the possibility of pushing back the college football playoffs and championship game and said they're not going to do it. They said that there was no support among the conference commissioners to change the date. So anybody in the Pac-10 or Pac-12 or SEC that was hoping that, you know, maybe they would push the bowls back a week and the college football playoffs back a week to give teams a chance to make up some of these games, it was said yesterday that's not going to happen. So as of right now, the selection committee is going to make its semifinal choices on December the 20th. Conferences are all supposed to be playing their championship games on the 19th, so the the final four teams for the college football playoffs will be announced on the 20th, regardless of where they are in their schedule. There's actually some teams that are scheduled to play games on the 19th, the same date as their conference uh, championship game, because that's the only date they had left where they could play a game. Obviously, if you're in the conference championship game, that's a different conversation, but uh, so as of right now, that's where that's where we're at. The semifinals are supposed to be played on January 1st at the Rose Bowl and at the Sugar Bowl. And the national championship game is scheduled for January 11th uh, in Miami. And as of right now, there's no change in that. And the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are in danger. I mean, this, this could end up, in, and I don't know that this will happen, but if you're the college football playoff committee, and the Pac-12 has only had teams being able to play three or four games, how can you consider them for the college football playoffs? You know, the SEC is going to be the only conference, I think, that might have teams play a uh, representative number of games. You know, most of the teams in the SEC, I think, are going to get eight in, at least eight in. But when you look at what happened with the Big 12 and and the Big 10 and the Pac-12 that initially called off the season and then decided late to say, well, never mind, we're going to play anyway. Well, they had already lost three or four weeks out of the schedule before they started. So there's no wiggle room. 
So, uh, you know, so that's where we're at there. Ohio State, by the way, has said that uh, they had allowed some fans into their first couple of home games. They had allowed uh, family and friends of players and coaches to come in. They're not even doing that now because the numbers in Ohio have gone up so far that they're allowing nobody into the games. And when you think about it, I mean, it's kind of funny because that stadium holds 105,000 people. So even if you let, you know, four family and friends for each player, and let's say there's 100 players, that's 400 people, and 400 from the other team, that's 800 people in a stadium that holds 105,000. You would think they'd be able to do that safely, but they are not going to. Uh, They did it in uh, uh, conjunction with the Columbus Department of Health that issued a 28-day stay-at-home advisory. You know, they're trying to get everybody to stay at home. So it's not necessarily the safety of the people in the stands uh, being at the game. It's that the Department of Health is saying you shouldn't leave home for anything. So um, it has trickled down to minor league hockey, the Eastern College uh, Hockey League, the ECHL. Uh, Six more teams have decided they are not going to play this season. They've opted out. The entire Northern Division of the ECHL. Uh, Adirondack, Brampton, Maine, Newfoundland, Reading, and Worcester have opted out. So that leaves 18 teams. Uh, the Norfolk Admirals and uh, Gwinnett Gladiators had opted out earlier. So, you know, the ECHL is like the second tier. It's kind of like the double A level of uh, minor league hockey. The AHL is the is the top minor league and then the ECHL is right below that. All the teams that play in the ECHL are all free agents. Uh, the league said that they all, they all plan to be back for twenty uh, the 2021 season, but they are not going to play in 20, uh, at 2020 and, and, and going forward. So, you know, and they did it because they didn't see a path, you know, and most of these teams are in the Northeast. They did not see a path to allow fans at the game. And so if you play these games or if they decided they were going to play the season and there's no fans, you know, they still have to pay to rent the arena. They still have, you know, to pay officials. They, there's other, there's, you know, costs with every game. If you can't have fans, they can't make it happen. This isn't like big time, uh, you know, NFL, MLB, NHL, where they NBA, where they can afford to absorb the loss. Minor league sports are a you know barely a break even proposition when you have fans. With no fans and still having the expenses that that come up to even put the game on, there's no way they could do it. So it, it's understandable. Uh, Iowa State, by the way, uh, is so Ohio State said no. But Iowa State, and Iowa State right now has a positivity level that is off the charts. It's about, I want to say, 20%, 25%. They're still going to allow people at their football games going forward. And they are planning to allow fans at men's and women's basketball games through November as well. They had, been, uh, they had had people up to 15,000 people at their football games, and they're still planning on doing that. And they plan to allow 10% capacity for basketball games um, on campus. I, I don't understand it, you know, but especially in that area where they're, you know, it's off, it's off the chain as far as the number of cases. 
you know, and that's a state, by the way, where the governor was like, nah, we're not wearing masks. Well, I'm not going to mandate anything and, you know, was poo-pooing it. She was, you know, a Republican that was, you know, kind of towing the George Bush line and, oh, no, we don't need it. Now, all of a sudden, the numbers go up. And she's like, oh, no, everybody needs to wear a mask. You know, now all of a sudden, you know, you decide to take it seriously after the horses left the barn. Um, uh, we've got a couple, one other COVID thing uh, here in the Northeast. Uh, the UMass men's basketball team has had to pause all is, its activities, and they will not be able to participate now in that Bubbleville uh, event at Mohegan Sun Arena that's supposed to start next week um, because somebody within their group, somebody they – they uh, call uh, tier one personnel. So that means either a player, a coach, a team manager, or support staff has tested positive. So they are on hold for two weeks. It's happened. Look, it happened here in the state. It happened to UConn. You know, they haven't been able to practice for two weeks. You know, they're just getting back to practice. They're going to have about five days of practice before their first game. Uh, Syracuse had to call things off on Sunday. Their head coach, Jim Beheim, 76 years old, tested positive. Now, he's asymptomatic, I guess, but he tested positive, and so they've had to put the brakes on. So, uh, you know, just like with college football, every week we're going to be tallying up the games that are and are not played. It's crazy. And and as we said, with football, we're at, what, 25%. Um, and, uh, you know, and we're still a ways away from this. We're still, what, about – nine, ten months away from this, but the Olympics in Tokyo, uh, they talked about that. There was a, a press conference yesterday, and they basically said, look, you know, we still want to have people come. To, we're still going to do the Olympics, but there's no, not going to be any parties in the athlete village. You know, you, nobody's going out in the town. When you are done competing at the Olympics, you they want you to leave. You know, it's been kind of traditional where people will, you know, have their event, and then just kind of hang around and soak up the experience. Well, not this year. You know, they want it. They want everybody to leave. Uh, they're still planning on the opening ceremony. I don't know how the hell they're going to do that. I mean, I don't know how that. You know, if they have that opening ceremony, if they allow, I don't see how they can allow spectators in there. Maybe I. Maybe you can still put it on with no people in the stands and just have it. You know, be televised, but. You're still going to have, you know, all these athletes and the performers or whoever are doing whatever for the opening ceremonies are all going to be close. You know, I mean, close together. So how does that not become a mass spreading event? I, I don't know. Uh, so, but the they said the Olympics is going to have more of a business like feel this year. You know, it's not. Uh, you know, it's not going to be as uh, touchy feely. Obviously, there's not going to be. A, you're not going to see a lot of hugging uh, and things like that after events because of you know. You know, and, and, and are they going to make people wear masks now? You know, and let's remember that the Olympics and this could change as well. Let's remember that the Olympics aren't scheduled until next what July. So if they do, if these vaccines are indeed as effective as they say they are, and if they do start getting out to the general population by, say, April, May, there is a decent chance uh, that we won't have to worry about this as much. And by the way, one of the things that they've talked about at the Olympics is if you want to compete, you have to get vaccinated. And whether or not to get vaccinated is a, is a personal choice. And there's a lot of people around the country that don't plan on getting vaccinated. I'm one of them. Look, you know, 
I'm going to wait until <laughs> I'm going to wait until uh, it's been out for a little while. But I don't get a flu vaccine. You know, I take pretty good care of myself. Yeah, I know I'm old and I'm, you know, I'm I'm fat, although I'm less fat than I used to be. But at the end of the day, you know, I I I'm in pretty good shape and and I and I try to be careful. And I'm going to continue to try to be careful. And may I'm not saying down the road when I get to be a little bit older that I won't get it. You know? You know, they're recommending people that are 65 and older get it. Well, I still got a few years before I get there, so I'm not planning to get it. But they're saying if you're an athlete and you want to go to the Olympics, you got to get vaccinated. And to me, those are the people that you have to worry about the least. You know, these are people that are, that are supposed to be in, you know, the best shape of anybody in the world. They're Olympic athletes. But they're still they're, as of right now, it's still going to be a requirement. So we'll see how that, that uh, sits. It's 27 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the latest debacle, the latest tragedy for the New York Mets, because it seems with the New York Mets, it's always something. Uh, We'll talk about that in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 29 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Thursday morning. So word came out yesterday, uh, yesterday morning, early afternoon, that Robinson Cano, the second baseman for the New York Mets, has been suspended from Major League Baseball for the entire 2021 season for testing positive for Stanozol, an anabolic steroid. This is the second time in his career that he has been Uh, he was caught back in 2018 when he tested positive for a diuretic that athletes use to, uh, to mask the use of steroids and other drugs. So he got suspended 80 games for that. And now he gets the full 162 folks. This goes to prove one thing you can't fix stupid. I mean, look, You got bagged for doing something like this before, and then you let it happen again. And look, you know, this was the first time it happened. Cano said that, uh, that it was given to him. The diuretic was given to him by a doctor, uh, to, to help treat an injury and that he had no idea, uh, that the drug was banned by major league baseball. Look, I didn't just fall off the turnip truck, and I am tired of hearing this kind of stuff. It's not like you got caught with something from, uh, you know, I don't know, like like cold medicine or something. In order for you to test positive for that diuretic that he had in 2018 and this anabolic steroid, it doesn't happen by accident. And with all the warnings that these guys have now of substances that are not allowed, you would give that to any doctor and say, hey, doc, make sure none of what you're giving me to treat whatever it is that I have contains any of these things. I mean, that is that's what you do. And so he not only he misses the season, but he also doesn't get paid. So he doesn't get any of the 20. $4 million that he was due this year. This is a guy who has been 
an all-star eight times. Last year, he had a great resurgence. Well, now we know why. He hit 316 with 10 homers and 30 runs batted in in the 60-game season. Geez, I wonder why. This is, you know, after the previous year where he hit 256. So his batting average jumped 60 points. He hit 13 home runs in 107 games in 2019, yet in 49 games in 2020, he hit 10 homers. Geez, I wonder why. You know, this this kind of stuff is is maddening. You know, and it was so funny, you know, when it first came out, one of the people said, uh, well, now his Hall of Fame candidacy is in doubt. No, it's not. He's not getting in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> it's that simple. If you test positive for steroids and you get suspended, you don't get in the Hall of Fame. That's why... Mark McGuire's not in the Hall of Fame. Now, when Mark McGuire did it, it wasn't banned. But he admitted what he was he was telling everybody what he was taking. It was in his locker and he he talked about when he was taking this Andro. And everybody realized that it's a steroid and that, you know, it wasn't banned under Major League Baseball policy. It is now, but it wasn't then when people realized how it was transforming his body and everybody realized that the numbers that McGuire was putting up were tainted. Yeah, they were impressive. You know, that year that that he and Sammy Sosa had that great uh, duel, you know, who was going to hit the most home runs, you know, hearkening back to the, you know, the Mantle and Maris days when they were both chasing 61 home runs. You know, it was... I mean, the, 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 uh, the nation was, was mesmerized by that. And it was, it was part of what brought baseball back. Baseball had kind of been, uh, I don't want to say it wasn't dying, but it had become boring. And now all of a sudden we enter the steroid era. We didn't know when it started that it was the steroid era, right? But all of a sudden, you know, you look at Mark McGuire, you know, who was a guy that did average, you know, 30, 35, 40 home runs a season. But all of a sudden, in 1998, McGuire's hitting 70 bombs. 70! He hit 65 in 1999. Hell, he hit 32 in half a season in 2000, and it was all juice. All juice. So he's not in the Hall of Fame. You know, you would look at a guy with 583 home runs and go, wow, you should be in the Hall of Fame. No, he's never getting in. Sammy Sosa's never getting in the Hall of Fame because of the PEDs. Everybody knows. Manny Ramirez, one of the greatest hitters of our generation, is not getting in the Hall of Fame because the idiot tested positive and was suspended a couple of times. You don't. You don't get a pass. As far as I'm concerned, Andy Pettit doesn't get in because he tested positive. They're, look, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds are not in the Hall of Fame yet. I think they're going to get in because, you know, a lot of stands are, are, stances are softening. But they're not getting in simply because it is suspected that they did PEDs. Now, 
Roger Clemens never tested positive for steroids. Let me repeat that. Roger Clemens never tested positive for steroids, whether you believe he used them or not. He never tested positive. He was never suspended for using steroids. Barry Bonds got himself in some trouble because he got tied up with Balco. But Roger Clemens was never, you know, so to me, again, you know, Mike Piazza was rumored to have used steroids. Guess what? He got in the Hall of Fame. He's no different than Roger Clemens. You know, we talk about uh, uh, Jeff Bagwell, another guy that was rumored to have used steroids. Nobody ever proved it. Well, you know, so if you if you're going to make that leap and you're going to put in a guy like Piazza or a guy like uh, Jeff Bagwell, guys that have been linked to stories in the past, again, no proof, and you've put them in, Clemens and Bonds need to get in. But when you get suspended and you test positive, you're done. And uh, uh, so, no, so there's no no gray area about whether Cano gets in the Hall of Fame. And does Cano have Hall of Fame numbers? Oh, Yes. He's a second baseman who's hit 303 for his career. Second baseman with 334 home runs. You know, a guy who's an eight-time All-Star. A guy who has finished in the top five in MVP voting uh, four times. A guy who was, you know, the runner-up to Rookie of the Year back in 2005. Absolutely, he has Hall of Fame numbers. But he's not getting in now. And Good. Because the Hall of Fame shouldn't have let anybody in that's that stupid. <laughs> you know, getting you know, getting caught once, I mean, you know, even though you, you should know better because everybody, especially with all the testing going on now, I mean, how, how ballsy do you have to be to say, well, I think I can get away with it. So, I mean, I guess maybe once I can... I don't want to say I can understand it, but I guess I can kind of understand you giving it a shot because maybe you're a marginal player. That's the problem with Cano, though, is he wasn't a marginal player. You know, when he first came up, he seemed to be the real deal. You know, uh, and he might have gotten in the Hall of Fame without the juice, but and now the, because the question has to be, you've gotten caught twice. How many other times should you have gotten caught? How tainted are your numbers in your career? So, now, in a way, this puts the Mets in a bind. This guy was, you know, their second baseman. He was also DH. You know, he's 38 years old. That's the other part of it. He may never play again. He's 38 years old and been suspended for PED. So, when he comes back, he's going to be 39. And, you know, he's lost a step. He's, his, his defense has deteriorated. He's essentially going to be a DH. Who's going to want to hire a guy that has already been suspended twice for PED. So he may his career may be over. And if you're the Mets, well, you say, well, now we don't have a second baseman. Actually, you do. You know, the Mets do have Jeff McNeil. And, you know, McNeil is a guy that the Mets moved around. He didn't, you know, he's, he's 28 years old. Uh, a guy that in the last three years 
has put up some impressive numbers. In last year, he hit 311. His first full season in the major leagues in 2019, he hit 318 with 23 homers and 75 runs batted in in 133 games. Now, they've played him more in the outfield than they have at second base in his career, except for the you know his rookie year. Played in 63 games his rookie year at 329. So this guy in 248 career games has hit almost 320. So you have a second baseman. You know, uh, is he uh, going to be a Gold Glove second baseman? Probably not, but he is a he is a um, probably an average fielder at second base, and he's got a hell of a bat. So, you know, I don't think that that that's really going to be that big of an issue for the Mets. Now, losing a three hundred hitter is never a great thing, but when you look at the fact that you know with some of these young players they have on this team. You know, they've got plenty of offense. I mean, you've got Pete Alonso. You've got J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, Brandon Nimmo, Michael Conforto. I mean, you've got, you know, guys that can that can hit. So, I, you know, and you're going to go out and you're going to sign a free agent. Uh, George Springer's a name that has been linked to them quite a bit. A lot of people would like to see them go after JT Romuto because they do need something. They don't really have uh, a catcher, so they need to do something. And Steve Cohen has said that, you know, they're not going to act like he called it. We're not going to act like drunken sailors, but he wants this team to compete. So they're going to go out and sign a couple of, a couple of bats. You would think right-handed bats. And of course, you know, New York fans, now Mets fans are going to be like, okay, second base, uh, DJ LeMahieu is a is a free agent. Let's go get DJ LeMahieu. Now, I'm not saying they couldn't, but you can bet the farm that the last thing the New York Yankees want is they the Major League Baseball's hitting champ to go across town to the Mets. They will move heaven and earth to make sure he that does not happen. You know, this is great news for DJ LeMahieu. He's probably doing cartwheels because his value just went up. You know, the, the, the dollar figure that he will sign for just went up. But, you know, typical Mets, you know, you, you get a new owner. Everybody's feeling good about the team. Cano had a resurgence last year. You know, uh, we, you know we, we had a couple of pieces. <clears throat> you know, we're going to be good to go. You know, we still have a few questions in the pitching staff, you know, with the injuries, et cetera, but we're, we're good. You know, we're going to compete. And, you know, within a week, that's gotten shattered. So, uh, you know, again, Cano is replaceable, but you didn't think you were going to have to. You know, now if you're Steve Cohen, you know, maybe instead of, you know, going out and getting – uh, spending money on one high price free agent, you might have to go out and hire or, you know, get a second one to replace Robinson Cano. But he's not going to the Hall of Fame. That ship has now, well, that ship had already sailed. When he got suspended for 80 games, that ship had sailed. Now, with the second one, uh, he shouldn't he shouldn't come back into baseball. He, you know, and again, you know, pl- 
owners are going to do what they want to do. It's their money, but you have to be pretty stupid as an owner to say, Oh yeah, what I'm, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go hire, uh, I'm going to go out and sign a 39 year old, uh, uh, second baseman who's lost a step that's been suspended twice for for performance enhancing drugs. So I hope Robinson Cano has saved a lot of money. He made twenty four million last year. Well, actually, he didn't. It was prorated, but he made twenty four million the year before. He's made a lot of money in his career. Uh, as a matter of fact, in his career, he has made uh, about two hundred million dollars. So if he's been smart about it, he'll never have to work a day in his life, and neither will his children, if he's been smart about it. But seeing that he has he has gotten suspended for performance-enhancing drugs for the second time, I'm not sure how smart he is. But for his sake, I hope he saved his money. Uh, one other quick baseball note. Uh, the Red Sox named their new bench coach yesterday. I actually kind of thought they might go out and rehire Ron Renicky. I know it would have been kind of awkward because Renicky had been their manager and then got fired, but he had been Alex Cora's bench coach before. I thought they might consider bringing him back, but no. Uh, Will Venable is going to be the new bench coach for the Red Sox. And this is interesting as well because Venable is a guy who interviewed for the job that Alex Cora got. Uh, but he is well thought of around Major League Baseball. Uh, he is a guy that is, he's very smart guy went to Princeton um, and uh, is somebody that people think is going to be a manager in the not too distant future. He's only 38 years old. He's not that far removed from his playing career. So he should be able to, uh, uh, I, I would think with he and Alex Cora, you know, those guys not that far removed from the game. I think it makes it easier for them to uh, uh, to to kind of build that camaraderie with the players, uh, you know, and I, I would imagine these two guys know each other a little bit, but uh, uh, so Will Venable in in Boston as the new bench coach. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the NBA draft from last night. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call for this 19th day of November 2020. The NBA draft, uh, a strange NBA draft last night at a strange time, a strange setting where everything was done in the ESPN studios and the interviews were all done uh, remotely. They had uh, all the players were like in their homes with family around them. And I always find, by the way, the, the player interviews awkward. I watched the draft. I don't know what I watched it for. I watched probably the first hour of it yesterday. Uh, you know, and there's in a lot of cases, uh, these interviews, I don't want to say they're cringeworthy, but there's nothing to them. I mean, you know, I'd rather, you know, they have these canned pieces that they've done on these kids, you know, and maybe their backgrounds and, and stuff like that. I'd rather just watch that. I don't need to listen to these guys, you know, and, and this isn't, uh, it's, it's because look, these guys, they're young kids. I mean, Anthony Edwards was picked at number one yesterday out of the university of Georgia. He's 19 years old. A 19-year-old kid doesn't know how to talk to the press. And and you could, you know, you could really tell, you know, the reporters asking questions and, you know, they don't really have answers. They kind of they, they've learned how to do clichés and stuff very young in life, but you get absolutely nothing out of these interviews. Uh, but Edwards, a lot of people thought maybe a surprise pick at number 1. Uh, but then number 2, James Wiseman 
big kid out of the uh, University of Memphis, went number two. LaMelo Ball, uh, part of the uh, the obnoxious Ball family that everybody thought was going to go number one, uh, went number three to the Charlotte Hornets. Um, and uh, so another uh, Ball child in the NBA. And as long as they keep his father away from the cameras, that's all I care about. Uh, you know, they, the kid's probably going to be a good player, although uh, reports are that uh, – you know, there's a lot of hype, but he played, he skipped college, even skipped high school in some cases and went down, was playing professionally in Australia, you know, and he didn't shoot very well. He was shooting in, you know, in the 32% range, you know, and because he was trying to do everything, you know, I'm sure an NBA coach is going to get this kid and he's going to, it's going to be a, a learning curve. Um, you know, and hopefully they'll, they'll be able to rein him in. He does have talent. There's no question about that. No question. Uh, the New York Knicks, uh, very happy that they were able to land uh, Obi Toppin uh, from the University of Dayton. That's the guy they actually kind of had their eye on. A lot of people thought he was going to be a top five pick, but he fell to the Knicks uh, at number eight. Uh, so they were very, very excited uh, to be able to get uh, Obi Toppin. As far as the Celtics go, uh, they got, uh, a kid out of Vanderbilt, Aaron Neesmith, uh, with the number 14 pick, you know, and I felt that a lot of people thought that the Celtics were going to go for a shooter and they did, I, you know, but to me, their biggest need for the Celtics is a big man. You know, that's where they really struggled is it, guarding the bigs in the playoffs. We saw was a, a problem for the Celtics. Um, Daniel Tice, look, God love him. And he worked his ass off, but he was constantly in foul trouble. And, uh, and offensively, he wasn't that much of a threat. You know, I, so I felt they needed a big, but they went, uh, the kid Neesmith six, six, uh, as a sophomore last season, he shot 52% from three point range, 52.2%. And he averaged eight, three point attempts a game. Uh, now he only played 14 games, so it's a it's a small sample because he had a stress fracture in his foot. As a freshman, he made 38 percent of his three pointers in a full season. So, uh, you know, he can rebound a little bit. He averaged about five rebounds a game. Uh, he has long arms. He does have a big wingspan. So, uh, kid that will probably slot into the three position, I would think, for the Boston Celtics. Uh, so, uh, you know, a, a, a good pick. A lot of people thought that the Celtics were going to try to move up, but I don't think their picks were high enough, uh, <laughs> to excite people, uh, into bundling. They had like what, 14, 26 and 32. That really, uh, really didn't get people going. The second pick in the first round, they grabbed a point guard, uh, out of Oregon, a kid by the name of Peyton Pritchard. And then the Celtics spun off, uh, their third pick to Oklahoma City uh, in exchange for a, um, a conditional pick next year. Uh, I guess they just felt that, you know, there wasn't enough of an impact player there, so they really weren't worried about that last pick. Uh, their first pick in the second round, the Celtics took a kid out of, uh, out of Israel. You know, the problem that the Celtics have right now is they are going to be going into training camp with like 19 or 20 guys signed, you know, and so it's going to be, 
Uh, very interesting to see how they shake out. They have right now. I think the Celtics just flat out have uh, have too many players. So we shall see. Um, so that was the NBA draft last night. By the way, now as far as the NBA goes, as we said, they're going to start the season on the 22nd of December. Uh, pretty quick turnaround. Uh, but because they are starting then and because they are going to try to play 72 games, it is likely that most of the NBA players are not going to be able to play in the Tokyo Olympics. The Olympics are set to start on the 23rd of July. The postseason could go as late as July 22nd. Now, some you know players, I guess, that are on teams – that don't make the playoffs or get bounced early, I suppose could still go, but that would mean they would have like no off season at all. So I'm not sure that NBA players are going to want to go because if you go to the Olympics, you know, for those couple of weeks, that means that your season is now extended into August. You end up with maybe a month, month and a half off before you got to go back to training camp again, because if everything is normal for the following season, don't forget that they start playing usually in October. So it is very likely we will not see NBA players in the Olympics uh, this coming summer. Uh, NFL news. The NFL has announced that everybody has to go into intensive COVID protocol starting on Saturday. Uh, numbers of positive tests in the, in, in the NFL are going up, but they're more concerned about the positive tests going on around the country. So what does that mean? It means masks are mandatory at all times at team facilities, all times, during practice, in the weight rooms, uh, if you're just walking around. Meetings have to be held virtually or in the largest indoor space possible that's been approved by the league. Uh, no team meals. They have to be grab and go. They don't want anybody sitting in cafeterias. Uh, time in the locker room has to be limited. And this is for everybody. You know, some teams have done this, you know, at certain times this year when they had outbreaks on their team, but uh, everybody has to do it now, and there is no negotiation on this. Uh, there were 17 new positive cases of players in the last week, uh, 35 among other personnel. So, you know, they're just, they're concerned, you know, that the numbers continue to climb, and they are try they're trying to avoid at all costs having to postpone or cancel more games because that's going to involve having to push back the playoffs, and they're really trying to avoid having to do that. So that's where the NFL is at this week. And speaking of the NFL, we'll have Dan Zampano on our show tomorrow, his weekly visit to talk about uh, last week's NFL games, give us his picks uh, for this week as well. So you'll want to tune in for that. That's going to do it for us here this morning. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow morning here on the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with a little music from Garth Brooks and George Jones, a little beer run. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.